0: All right, Diana Jones live in concert with a award winning song "Pony," which I'm kind of glad I got to play because it's one of my favorite songs from Diana. Diana, hopefully you're here now. Can you hear me? Well, I certainly can. I think we have some kind of a phone jinx going on here. I don't know, maybe we. I don't know. I never know. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Oh, pretty good. Um, really glad to finally connect up with you. Um, you are a busy woman, and I, I was so excited uh, to hear that you have such great news happening.
1: Yeah, we sort of kept it under our hats for a while until we were making, we had to make sure that we could actually get the vinyl, um, which is being made in the Czech Republic of all places. Hmm. hmm. And we did. So, yeah. So. Better times will come it's coming out on vinyl, but it's a re imagined like remastered version of it so
0: and that's an album came out in 2006 and it I mean it still reverberates today.
1: yeah, it was actually my second record which came out in 2009 um, but we recorded it in 2008 so it's the oh. fifteen year anniversary of the recording of it um, yeah
0: and uh well it's exciting that you're able to reimagine it I remastered and you have a really good uh, producer working with you with that, don't you?
1: yeah Steve Dabo who um worked with me on the last record um, on the track we believe you he helped me put that together and recorded it. We had you know three different artists from different places so he's a really good wrangler <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah we took this uh, this record from 2009 apart and uh, looked at different mixes, found a song I even forgot that we recorded but was never oh, wow. released oh, wow. called Call, Call Me Daddy so we put that on there and then um, there was uh, the title cut Better Times Will Come has Nancy Griffith singing just beautiful harmonies on it and, um, and since we sadly lost her I was really
0: oh my gosh um, yes
1: yeah, i was really happy to put that, and there's another song called Soldier Girl, but on Better times, um, there was an extra chorus that we found on one of the uh, mixes, and so it it makes it sort of what it, I feel like it should have been, you know, originally, mm. so that's kind of exciting too, so there's a couple of, you know, new things, and uh, overall, it's uh, influenced a bit differently, and um, I wrote some new liner notes. And it's vinyl. I mean, and that's it's vinyl. My first, yeah. my first
0: one, yeah, which uh, is kind of a big deal, isn't it? Because uh, you kind of grew up with vinyl, like many of us did.
1: I did. You know, I was lucky enough. Um,
0: I lived with a family when
1: I was about fifteen, and I was their nanny. And um, they had all gone to Woodstock, so I thought they were like the coolest people <laughs> I ever met. And right. they actually were, were really cool oh, and yeah. uh, wonderful. They were like you know grown up now, then by that point, and they were like social workers, and you know all the things that a lot of those mm-hmm. folks from the seventies ended up doing and um they had a great record collection, and you know here I was as you know fifteen year old kid and they let me you know use their very expensive stereo system and record yeah. collection, and you know I listened to just everything and uh yeah, it's kind of ironic and, and interesting that, like years later, I ended up meeting a lot of those people and working with some of them. You know that I discovered in their living room.
0: Well, Joan Baez uh, recorded one of your songs actually on her Grammy—not mm-hmm. uh, uh, award-winning, but uh, uh, album. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, you met all those people because you. Been performing for quite a long time since 1997. By the way, I'm talking to Diana Jones, singer, songwriter, guitarist, mandolin player, and uh, you have put out about eight albums uh, over that span of time, haven't you?
1: I think, yeah, eight. was the two that I started out with in Austin, Texas, that were not released internationally, mm-hmm. it was just sort of they were like local, and I, I kind of think of them as. Yeah,
0: test Pilots. Hmm. Yeah, Um, I've never seen those albums, uh, but I've got all your other albums. Oh, thank you. You're the one. Well, I'm not the only one, (laughs) for sure. I'm surely not the only one. You have so many fans, both here in the United States and the United Kingdom, which, by the way, another big news is you're going back again, aren't you?
1: I am. I am... uh, going back and I'm really looking forward to it. I was, I've been lucky enough to go uh, a couple of times since COVID and um, yeah, this is the third time so it's it's been great and the fans you know, there's especially the first tour I did which is like that, you know, fall of 2020 when, it mm-hmm. when the, you know, it's such a blur all, that, all those years. I, I have trouble recalling which year it was but it was when the vaccine had just you know, happened and um, we did 30 shows in five countries and then Omicron wow. hit. But I have to say there there was a very, very special feeling in the rooms. Um, like, you know, we had all gotten out of jail and, you know, we were all together and so oh, grateful. Right. And, you know, um, I don't know if that'll ever happen quite in that way. I, I really, uh, I feel lucky that I got to experience that.
0: Well, you've made a lot of friends and you have a, a pretty good fan base, both in the United Kingdom and Ireland, don't you?
1: Um, yeah, actually, in, in the, the Benelux area for, um, of Europe as well. I've been going back there for years. Um, and I've toured all over Europe. You know, it's just um, the Benelux area. I have some really great uh, promoters and um, they... They do everything. They're called Lucky Dice Music. So they're online, mm-hmm. and they, yeah, they just specialize in making sure that uh, that people over there get to hear people over here.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and and it seems like the the fans over in Europe are just so appreciative of the music, um, both jazz and and folk music and authentic uh, roots music like you do. Um, you've done touring Mm. both the United States and and in Europe. What are the differences? Have you perceived like it's really different between the two places? Well, you
1: know, Europe and England and Ireland are more densely populated. So, you know, in England, you don't really have to drive so far to do as many shows. So that's... Mm -hmm. and, and, And the fans are just... They're over there. I mean, they realize, especially during COVID, that, you know, what an effort you know artists are making to come over um and so you know have the same people that like actually will follow a whole tour you know sometimes it's really interesting show up like in the front row of like three different shows and they're like oh hi again (laughs) (laughs) that's interesting um yeah it's just you know it's just a a shorter distance and um that's great and also you know i think uh especially in England, Scotland, Ireland, people, a lot of fans realize that the music I do actually originated there. So oh, right. I've met fans in Europe as well um, who know more about the music and where it came from. Like, they've told me things that I don't know about Appalachian music, and oh. that's really kind of cool. And yeah.
0: that that's really uh, where you're... you're Heart and soul is in Appalachian music, and it's an interesting story how you kind of discovered uh, your roots, so to speak. hmm
1: Yeah, I found my first family when I was 23, um, and my grandfather was uh, living in Maryville, Tennessee, which is in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains, and he had played on this circuit, called the Kaz Walker Circuit, which happened in Knoxville. It was a dance circuit, also a radio circuit. Kaz was a big promoter. Um, Dolly Parton was on the circuit wow. and a very early version of a band my grandfather had when he was fifteen with Chad Atkins. Wow. So um yeah. And I am a lot like him or he was and um, I pretty much have this quirky voice and <laughs> um, you know he had the same lower version of it. So it was kind of good to find him
0: because it made a lot of sense <laughs> who I was when I found him. Well, you were always interested, i mean my understanding, in, in uh, Appalachian music and uh, uh, folk music. And did that really kind of put you more... The vision of who you are as an artist and and help your writing. I know you you did an album for your grandfather called my Remembrance of you after his death. Mm-hmm. and that did that really spur your your songwriting skills and and what you wanted to write about?
1: Absolutely. We listened to the Alan Lomax recordings together that we actually found up at the bookstore and the gift store in the, at the top of Cave's Cove which is at, in the Smoky Mountain National Park when I found this one um, album up there that Lomax put out uh, called Southern, Southern Ballads and Breakdowns I think it was and mm-hmm. I looked at the back of it and he knew all the songs my grandfather was standing wow. there and So we bought it, I bought it, and we drove through the mountains, and that was sort of a breakthrough. (laughs) Wow. I was there for a funeral. My Aunt Clara had died, and um, my great-aunt Clara, his sister. And so we drove around the mountains listening to all these songs, and he knew them, and he knew different versions of them. my goodness. And I think that was a real breakthrough for me um, where, I mean, when you, you know, growing up on the East Coast, I would hear things, and I would longed for more of it, that I didn't know where to get it. I, you know, I wasn't part of that culture, and so it took me a while to for the light bulb to go on and, you know, to realize that it really, I really could claim it, you know, that oh, I could yeah. find it my way to it in my own way. Um, and that day was really like the day where I thought, oh, I get this, and also that those people The people on that record that I was listening to were not on stage. They never wanted to get on stage. They were literally singing because they were making sense of their lives. You know, um, the hard things and good things and um, just, you know, trying to make sense of where they were in their world. And I thought, well, what would happen if I tried to write those songs for myself? In terms of my own life, and then when my grandfather passed away, was when I started to do that.
0: And and what songs uh, came out of that? I know Pretty Girl possibly, and maybe Pony also.
1: Yeah, Pony did Pretty Girl. All, all the songs on the first record, really, because on in my remembrance of you, because after my grandfather, which we call Papa in the South. After my papa died, I went to a cabin in in the woods and I um, threw out every song I'd ever written. Hmm. And I just had this sense that, you know, I hadn't written the songs that I would want to play if I was lucky enough to play, uh, you know, mm-hmm. often. And I, I decided to try to find them and I was also open enough to feel like if I didn't that maybe that wasn't the path for me but mm. the songs after a few days absolutely alone and I mean no cell phone no nothing um, for three weeks at a time which I'd never done before mm. and I had always kind of wanted to do so it was like in, in my trajectory but I didn't have you know I hadn't done it so I did and um, the songs started coming and I did it, I did it as often as I could mm-hmm. and um and then, within a couple of years, I was on the road, pretty much full time. Just kind of surprising, you know. It wasn't like a goal initially. The goal was to write songs that felt authentic
0: and that I wanted to sing. Well, you won uh, the Kerrville Songwriting Contest uh, um, back in two thousand and six. And I know. Yeah, I think it was six. Yeah, six or seven. Yeah. So that obviously gave you a lot of credence towards uh, your abilities to write these songs that really reach so many people. And are so pertinent to everyone's mm-hmm. life. And, of course, Pony has really touched so many lives. And I'm really glad I got to play that because it's really such a... And it's true. Many of the songs, you, as you say, are true stories. Um, the one that Joan Baez covered, uh, the last words of uh, Russell...
1: Uh,
0: um, yeah, Henry, Henry Russell. Henry Russell. Uh, yeah. That's a true story that you put into words. Uh, and talk about that song a minute.
1: Well, um, I was doing a show in Morgantown, West Virginia, and there had been an article in the newspaper about me, the local paper, and a woman um, named Carol Thorne had read it, and she came to the venue, and I was sitting in the restaurant part of it, and she came in, and she sat down, and she asked if she could talk to me, and um, she said that she was doing a a memorial the first memorial in 80 years hmm. to a group of men that died um, in Everettville, West Virginia in a mining disaster. And she was sure I was the person that needed to write a song about this.
0: Hmm.
1: And we tried all kinds of things. She sent me all kinds of statistics. And I was about to leave for my first tour in England, and Scotland, when he said she had a letter. And I said send it to me, and she did, and it was the last letter Hmm. that a man named Henry Russell wrote to his wife, knowing that the air was turning bad, and he was trapped in a room in the mine, and it was the last three hours of his life. Oh, my gosh. Um, And the words really are Henry's. Um, I formatted them so that, you know, I could sing them, but really, I, I feel like... He should get that song credit. <laughs> mm-hmm. um,
0: the writer's credit. It's such an intense song, and it really uh, puts a person into that reality of what a difficult, uh, uh, horrible uh, position many coal miners are in. Certainly, in Appalachia, uh, with the the mining and the disasters that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that puts a face on it, and and. Uh, you know, you've done that a lot, and I think that is exactly what you try to do with your most recent album called Song, Song to a Refugee. That you've put a yeah. face and a story to these these horrible stories of people trying to seek asylum in the United yeah. States and other countries, and they're turned away or they're put into incarceration uh, places, detention centers. It um, was mm. that, what was your impetus to putting out Song to Refugee?
1: Well, it was the summer of 2018, and it's basically all over the news, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that that uh, administration was handling it um, was so punitive. Um, And I just, especially the detention of children, um, just touched me so deeply, and I just couldn't ignore it. So I feel like those songs kind of wrote me in a way, or I wrote them because I needed to save my own sanity. I mean, I think I write songs sometimes just to make sense of things or to Mm -hmm. try to, right? So um, giving voice to the people I was hearing about, which I knew, clearly knew, did not have one, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, at least made me feel better in that moment or made me feel more, I don't even know what, connected? Because I felt so disconnected. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, like, I I think even subconsciously I was feeling like, you know, to hook up these voices, you know, and to other, to to the people that wanted to hear them and to start a conversation. You know, really I think my aim in putting the record out eventually when it was finished was to start a conversation no matter what it was. You know, even the people that didn't agree with what I was singing about, but to to not be silent about it, you know. um, Because so much of it was being just just done you know just Mm these horrible things just done with no one even knowing you know and then they'd surface it's just
0: horrible so yeah well there's a quote that i did read uh, when i was looking over all your information from nina simone saying an artist's duty is to reflect the times i feel that you do that so well with your music thank
1: you I think that started in that living room you know what I mean like to hear um, so many artists Jomba is included and Tom Paxton and Janice and then, um Odetta and just all all these sort of socially aware people at the time that were singing about the times and defining things for themselves and for their audiences um, I just I think I grew up feeling and like that's what you were supposed, supposed to do. <laughs> I know, like that was part of the job description as a songwriter.
0: Well, it is a, an activist songwriter who's trying to uh, get that information out there and make people aware through music, which is such an important thing, certainly there's so many as you mentioned, someone Buffy Saint Marie, uh, of all those people and people today, mm-hmm. you you are certainly one of those people, and, and it mm-hmm. was another really interesting story uh, that you ran across, kind of a well-known uh, activist and actor Emma Thomas Thompson, who uh, kind of got you on a certain uh, road. Yeah, it, um, it was
1: interesting. I met. Emma Thompson in a park on the Lower East Side. Um, I had just come back from England, actually, and she was making a movie. And then, and we had a really s- sweet conversation. She's so lovely mm-hmm. and generous.
0: I you can't know, imagine with people that
1: recognize her. <laughs> and it was a quiet day in the park, and she had a day off. We talked for a while, and then three weeks later, I came back from the Midwestern tour, and we met again by chance. Huh. And we went out to lunch that day. Um, and she talked about the Helen Bamber Foundation, which is um, a refugee organization in London that she is the president of, I believe, is her role, and um, and very actively involved with them. And they deal with, um, largely with uh, the trafficked population and with people that are really... um, dealing with severe trauma when they arrive in the UK and giving them the services that they need. So she was telling me about Helen Bamber herself, which is, if anyone wants to look her up, she's an amazing, amazing woman and um, started the foundation just after World War II. She was a young Jewish woman who, with the Jewish Relief um, Organization, she went to Bergen Belsen and, and volunteered. So you can only imagine... And then she decided to dedicate her life to that cause, which she did. Um, and so I went to the website and Emma had pointed me to a couple of different um, interviews and um, I listened and I watched them and the first song came to me immediately that day. And I and I and then it, be, it began this sort of I, I don't know. From from that moment on, it everything else was happening in our country, and um, the songs just kind of came in a flood, and um, and that was that spring of that of that year of 2018, and then that summer was when all the rest of the songs came, and then mm. we recorded in the fall, and
0: um, yeah. Well, I started off that set of music. Um, by the way, I'm speaking of Diana Jones. Uh, here on the women's show on Sweethearts and Badasses of Americana and Beyond. We are in the midst of a pledge drive so if you can give us a call at 402 474 extension 1 and pledge your support for this really interesting conversation with a really uh, great uh, songwriter who's uh, really in the prime of your productivity right now. I think you're just really doing amazing stuff. And I did start off that Thank set you. of music with We Believe You and you featured on that Peggy Seeger, Steve Earle, Richard Thompson, uh, mm. and the voices. And these are all people that that really believe in this cause as well. Mm-hmm.
1: They are, um, Yeah, So I was finished recording the album. I recorded um, the the album except for that song with uh, David Mansfield, who's amazing and. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and he plays a lot of the instruments on it, as well as recording it, as well as uh, mixing it. I mean, he was, in, uh, he was a big part of mixing it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, was, I thought I was done. And then uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez went to the border with Mexico and um, to a detention center that was all women. And she came back and gave a testimony to Congress, and she said, I believed the women. Um, And she was so emphatic, and she said it so many times in in terms of believing that why they were there and what the uh, conditions were in the detention center. And she just kept saying, I believed them, I believed the women. And it struck me how important um, that is. To be believed mm-hmm. especially a traumatized population and i went to that same park where i met emma and i and that song came to me in about oh, wow. 20 minutes and i realized as i was writing it that the verses uh deserved other voices than mine and you know sometimes it's a good thing to dream your biggest dream because <laughs> all the people that ended up on it were, you know, friends and uh-huh. people that I'd worked with, and um, but really my favorite voices, and especially for this song, Perfect.
0: Oh, yeah, this song. so
1: um, so I made some phone calls and they all said yes. And uh, Steve was, Steve came into the studio with the with. And Steve Earl with Steve Adabo and we recorded his part here um, Richard I went to his studio in New Jersey and we recorded him and then Peggy recorded her verse in England with her son Callum uh, and then Steve and I sat in the studio for a day and put all of these verses together and it was all the voices on the verses it was quite a thing and mm. um, and uh, to, to do that, and he was amazing at it. And then, you know, I, I remember listening to it the first time through when it was finished, and having that feeling like, okay, I can die now. You know, like, this is <laughs> like the best,
0: best thing I ever did. Yeah, um, it's wonderful here. Those voices, uh, especially uh, the wonderful Peggy Seeger, who has been fighting the good fight for so many years. Um, yes, feminist, uh,
1: activist. I think. Yeah, 87th year and still touring. And I see her every time I go to England. We spend time together. And it's been, she's been such a beautiful presence in my life. Oh,
0: um,
1: and also, yeah. just when I told you, you know, I after I uh, recorded that song, I went to Washington Square Park while COVID was still really active in terms of people wearing masks and I had a mask on the whole time, but I recorded uh, a video. So if you go to YouTube and just put my name in and we believe you, the video will come up. And it was, I think, one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had in my life. I asked, I think there are 41 people in this video holding up lyrics on Mm -hmm. gray paper that I had handwritten. And they were strangers. I think I only Mm. knew three of the people that are in that video. Everybody else was literally like I walked up to them cold and asked them, would wow. they be in the video? And every one of them said yes. It was, it was really amazing. And, you know, after COVID, that feeling that all of us probably had of feeling so disconnected and shooting that for me was like the thing that started to bring me back. It was really,
0: a, it was a really
1: wonderful day. Oh my gosh. And you know what?
0: I posted that video uh, in my Facebook oh, page you. under uh, the announcement that you were going to be my interview person today because I think oh. it's pretty powerful. And now it's great to know that you didn't know most of these people. They just volunteered to be part of this uh, statement, yeah. uh, which is, well, you know, it just makes you a lot of faith in people <laughs> in general.
1: I know. It's it was amazing. such a great couple of days. I remember walking away, <laughs> like, and I had... I was watching the, um, the footage, you know, on my computer trying to put this thing together because my tech skills got a lot better over COVID, That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, had to. Had and to. I'm putting this thing together just like weeping. I just couldn't believe, like, the, the way that they, I mean, you know, it you know, like people, you just walk up to me and say, would you hold this and this is a song? And they was like, yeah, sure, you know, and they did uh, it. But it was also the way they looked at me, you know, holding up. They would, each of them did the same thing. They would read the lyrics on the paper, and then kind of hold hmm. it up and own it, wow. you know? It, mm-hmm. like really... It's powerful. Looks. Yeah, I didn't have to, like, do anything except that, you know? And then they just, everyone just did their own thing. So for that to happen that many times was kind of miraculous to me.
0: Well, it, it, it's just, it was really meant to happen, and I think... The music that you're doing is is uh, really important for people to hear, and I'm so glad that you were able to come on the show today and talk a little okay. bit about it. Um, you know, mm. I, if you get a hold of the the album, the actual physical CD of "Song to a Refugee" from Diana Jones, there's such wonderful information in here. Um, there is a, a poem or a saying from Dina Nariye mm-hmm it's the obligation of every person born in a safer room to open the door when someone in danger knocks. Is that Mm -hmm. the essence of what you think you're trying to do with this album?
1: Yeah, when I read that quote, um, I thought it just summed up who we should be, you know, what it means to be of service. Mm. You know, it's not always this sort of you know, assertive thing where you go out, and you try to do something. It's being there when the service calls to you, you know, when that knock comes at the door.
0: Mm. And the other thing is that when you do concerts, uh, you always oftentimes have representatives of refugee uh, uh, groups that are organizations to, uh, if people can get a hold of, if they want to do something, which is an important thing to do something.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, I was so moved by the stories, um, and the people I was telling the stories about. And I thought, you know, if the audience feels this way, there's, there's that. And then you can feel kind of disconnected if you don't know what to do, you know, when you feel that uh, emotional connection, which music, I think, really can do for us. And so I thought it would be important to have, Representative, Mm. um, you know, from the local, whatever the local organization was, so that people could not not just give money, which is always a great thing to do, but also get involved. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, there's a in Pelham, New York. There's an organization called Hearts and Homes for Refugees, and I'm an ambassador for them. And um, it's this grassroots organization that gets people in the community. involved with families that are being placed. So, you know, just things like, how do you, where do you get food? What, you know, how do you navigate mm-hmm. the grocery store? Um, you know, getting a car, registering that car, getting a license, like all these things that, you know, if you have a friend who knows what they're doing, it's so much easier, obviously, you know. So families adopt families. I helped a Syrian family move into their first apartment in I think three years and all their children there, and it was an incredible experience. Oh gosh, Just to be a witness to that, you know.
0: Well, it's important, and Lincoln is a, a big uh, settlement for uh, refugees uh, from Afghanistan and other places. And uh, I actually have a family three houses up from where I live who just moved in, uh, a large family of of refugees from Afghanistan. So there's uh, a lot of uh, work here in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, dealing with refugees and finding them homes and places of safety. Uh, And it's such such an important thing, and it's a worldwide uh, issue. It's certainly not local. It can be local, or it's an international issue. Uh, Diana, I probably need to start winding it down. I, I want to mention a couple things. I want to end with uh, the song that you ended your album, uh, Song to Refugee, The Last Words. Can you talk a little bit about that? I, I just think that's just a good way to end our conversation.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I had a friend who lost his sister to cancer and wrote a book about it, and... Um, and was with her uh, till the end. And, you know, I lost, um, I think the loss of my grandfather, although it was years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm still, you know, reminded of, he had actually a particularly beautiful death. Like, with his family literally around him, he was seeing his mother, he was talking to relatives that had passed, and it was a very peaceful mm. thing, um, you know, and, and it, it comes you to, to some people in different ways, obviously, but um, I think that, it, for me, the idea, and I saw this with my grandfather, who was such a great teacher to me, he, you know, the, the, the sum of his life, well, his life was summed up in that moment by the love and uh, that he had, and the love that he gave. Mm. And, um, and, you know, he was a man who had 300 people at his funeral and he died with no money really um, you know a watch and some golf clubs and <laughs> clothing really uh, and yet he lived such a grand life in this you know community way and um, and that really that, those connections are what does matter you know Um and I think, you know, with all of the refugee stories, you know, what what is it? What is it that we're looking for? Any of us, really, is a mm-hmm. home, um, a place to belong, mm-hmm. and um, a sense of
0: purpose, you know. Indeed. Uh, and, I mean, it's the perfect song to, uh, the, to end the, the show, the conver- Our Conversation, and certainly your album, uh, Song to Refugee. Uh, Diana Jones, where can people find you on social media?
1: Well, I'm in all the usual places, Facebook and Instagram. We're Twittering about mm. the new uh, record, although I'm not a big Twitterer, really, mm. but I do. I do tweet. Um, <laughs> okay. And then my website, dianajonesmusic.com, which i um, just now getting it updated and the touring information there. And if anybody's in the States and you want to see me and you're in Nashville, mm. on March 22nd, I'm playing at the Bluebird.
0: So that'll be wow. fun. That's a Famous cafe. That's a great place to play. Are you coming to Lincoln, Nebraska? You've been here before. I have toured
1: steadily in Lincoln since the beginning of my career, and had wonderful experiences and have made friends there. Um, and and I'll and you know it's funny because there's I haven't really had a lot of like touring like around the shows I've done in Lincoln. I've actually flown in just to these a Mm. show in Lincoln once every two years or so and it's great and I love you guys if any of you are listening my audience, (laughs) the people that show up and friends I've made um, and the dinners we've had Mm. you know that really is what it's all about so hope to see you next year
0: (laughs) I hope so Uh, uh, Lafta oftentimes uh, is the group organization uh, that brings you to Lincoln so it's I hope the awesome. next time you come, Diana Jones, you can come on the women's show. Play live in the studio. That'd be oh, super cool. Thank you. I would love that. That'd be awesome. Awesomely, be- awesomely awesome. So <laughs> that'd be great. Well, I better go out with the song, uh, The Last Words. Thank you so much, Diana Jones, for uh, talking to me today. Uh, I mean, it's been really enlightening, and I think you're doing great work. And I, really, mm. I'm so excited that you're putting out uh, your album, uh uh, the one that's coming out, uh, that's being At reimagined. Yes, because yeah. it's so appropriate for the times, and that I know it is. I mean, <laughs> these songs you can just translate into what's happening now, and uh, and your big tour in the United Kingdom. I hope that goes well. So, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Yes, well, I've known of you for such a long time, and I think we've talked before in person, but it's been a while because you haven't been here in a while, but. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for talking, and uh, we'll talk to you, hopefully, when you come to Lincoln. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.